Join me in welcoming Pastor Mike Callahan. Good morning. I'm uh, from uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. Um, Pastor David Rosales. Um, and uh, I'd ask you to pray for me because I'm a lot more comfortable being out there than standing up here. Uh, but also I have to go back and I have to tell Pastor David that the idea about the thermometer isn't going to work. So um, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that, uh, that I have, Lord, to, to share with my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that uh, the words that you've given me to share, the, uh, the experience, the, uh, Lord, the, um, the opportunities that I've had to share uh, on staff with Pastor David, Lord, and, and all that, uh, that you've, you've given to Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, and that you've given to Calvary Chapel, that, Lord, might be of benefit. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as this uh, time that we spend together would be beneficial to my brothers and to my sisters, and, Lord, uh, those of us that, that share the weight of ministry in some way, Lord, that we might be refreshed and encouraged. Lord, uh, all that's been shared so far with Pastor Jeff and Pastor Chuck, Lord, and in a few minutes with Pastor Wall, Lord, that we would take from this place, Lord, a, a renewed desire to serve you, to, to stand next to those men that you've put us with, to, to lift up arms, and Lord, to bring you glory. So, Father, thank you and bless you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, uh, I, I know that the, the things that I'm going to be sharing are probably, to most of you, going to be just a reminder. It's going to be a reminder about what it means to, to serve the Lord in the capacity of an assistant. Uh, some of you may be new information, and for some of you it might be a bit convicting. I, I, I hope that uh, you won't take it personally. Uh, but there's a number of things that, that I want to share with you that uh, I think are going to be uh, beneficial in a variety of ways. A little bit about myself. Uh, my wife and I came to the Lord uh, on the same night in uh, the month of November in 1980. Uh, we began Calvary, uh, attending Calvary Chapel a little over a, a year after we got saved. We were in a Catholic church, believe it or not, at that time. I was attending another Calvary Chapel in Chino and uh, decided to leave because of some issues that were going on there. And uh, I went and visited uh, Calvary Chapel, Ontario, which is Pastor David's uh, uh, location at that time. And uh, the senior pastor from the church that I was uh, leaving uh, was attending the same church that I was now uh, praying about attending. And so that was an interesting turn of events to uh, run into the pastor that you're going to the church uh, with. Um, but anyway, we, we made the change. We moved over to Calvary Chapel. Chino uh, Valley eventually is what it became. And uh, we started uh, uh, there about 27 years ago in 1982. And I had a growing uh, desire to serve the Lord and uh, got involved in a lot of different ministries. I served in many different uh, areas. I, I'd like to say I served in just about every uh, area that you can serve in a, in a church except for at the worship ministry, and it's obvious why I don't serve in that ministry. Um, but I was asked by Pastor David in uh, September of 1988 to be a full-time minister on his staff. Um, about a year after I uh, took the uh, position, I began to serve in the area of administration, and I've been the uh, current administrator at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley for uh, 21 years now in, in October. Uh, weekly, we minister to uh, uh, over 6,000 adults and uh, over 1,200 children. Uh, my ministry responsibilities are, are wide and varied. I oversee the men's ministry in particular, but 
administrate the day-to-day operations of the fellowship. Uh, we have over uh, 40 full-time and part-time employees, seven of which are, uh, including myself, are staff ministers. And in serving as the uh, administrator and serving as an assistant for a few years, uh, I've seen many helpers come and I've seen a lot of helpers go. Some of these uh, departures have been real good departures and a blessing to see somebody go and expand in their area of service, and some of them have not been really good. Uh, what makes a good assistant? What is the key component? Uh, some of those um, words that come to mind are as a, a second man. You know, you're the, you're the second. Uh, there was a book that was uh, put out um, by Romaine called Second. And it's been referred to as maybe in an orchestral uh, setting, uh, playing second fiddle. As a matter of fact, Leonard Bernstein was once asked which instrument was the most difficult to play, and he thought for a moment and he replied, the second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find somebody who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, then we have no harmony. There's no harmony uh, if we don't have anybody that can, that can add to and expand to uh, the, um, the ministry of the first. And so when a person plays second fiddle, it means that the person plays the role of a subordinate to the one who is more important. The second fiddle is a person who serves in a subsidiary capacity. A person usually plays second fiddle to another person, especially to the one who is an immediate superior to him. A definition of assistant is a person who contributes to the fulfillment of a need or further assistance of an effort or purpose. There are a number of good examples of assistants or helpers in the Bible to look at. And what I'd like to look at is one story in Exodus chapter 17 that points out three good assistants there. Um, one of them, of course, is Joshua. And it's said of Joshua, and uh, I'll just read this to you while you're turning there. Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. In Exodus uh, 17, verses 8 to 13, it says there, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill which with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. Moses says to, uh, to Joshua there, choose us some men. The first thing I'd like to share with you, or the first point, is that ministry is delegated. It's never shared. Um, the authority resides in one person. Calvary Chapel is, is built on the, uh, the authority of a senior pastor. And there's only one senior pastor. There's only one pastor. We need to constantly remind ourselves that God uses us only when we remain submitted and humble in our service to him. 
God chose Moses to, to lead the children of Israel, and the, uh, the senior pastor for us is that leader. He is the one that God has chosen, and we as assistants should never be confused about the authority that God has given to him and to us as we assist him. This may seem like an obvious point to most of you, but I, I'm telling you, in the years of ministry that I've seen, I've seen more men that have forgotten that basic idea. He says there, choose us some men. And even the language there can kind of give you the idea that there's a, a sharing there. Choose us some men. He's inviting Joshua to be part of the work that God wants to do. Go out and choose us some men to go to battle against Amalek. Now, the, the us there can be revert, referred to as the div, divine we. You know, it's more, he's referring to, choose us some men, Joshua, for the Lord to go out and do battle. But don't get confused that you're co-leading in some way. You're co-pastoring in some way. He says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. The rod of God was a, was a symbol of the presence of the Lord. And even though the, Moses invited Joshua to join in the work that God was doing, it was Moses that was going to go and stand on the high hill in the place of the representative of the presence of the Lord, that God was going to be there with them. I've heard guys say, unfortunately, I've, I've heard this. You know, it's, it's been reported to me, not that I've actually heard guys say this, but they would point to Pastor David's office and say, who does he think he is? You know, he just, all he does is just sit in there and, and study. They, they forget where they have come from. They forget the humble beginnings. They, they've forgotten that they were chosen to work alongside. Choose us some men. An invitation again to join the work of God. They crossed the line from being an assistant to beginning to think that of themselves as that man. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, For who makes you differ from another, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? All that we have has been given to us by the Lord. It's something that has been handed to us. And we need to realize that God has placed us into ministry. And it hasn't been we ourselves that have done that. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. God put us there. God gave us the opportunity. And a man recognized the desire that we have to serve and says, why don't you come and serve alongside me? And all of a sudden we forget that God has placed us there, that we're supposed to share in this ministry. And we begin to start thinking we're co-pastors, that we have some authority that, that we're, we're taking on ourselves. We have to covenant to be faithful in all that we've been given. And we have to hold our ministries with an open hand that, so that if something is taken away from us, there isn't a battle at all. We, we never go like this, but we hold everything with an open hand. And so that, hey, it, it was given to me in the first place. It isn't mine. It belongs to, to, to Pastor David, and he has the, the, the right to take it away for no reason at all. It's not mine. It's his. And ultimately, it belongs to the Lord. Colossians chapter 4, verse 17 says, And say to Archippus, 
Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry in the Lord that you have received in the Lord. So he received the ministry in the Lord and he recognizes that God helps him to fulfill it. So back to the story. Joshua is told by Moses to, to, to go to battle while Moses, is journey, while Moses journeys to the mountain. So I can just imagine Joshua, you know, kind of, you know, eyeing Moses and saying, okay, so let, let me get this straight now. You're going to go up on this high hill, safe and sound, and I'm going to go down here and do some hand-to-hand combat. Uh, sounds like quite a deal. It sounds like, you know, you're going to be okay and I'm going to be down here risking my life. But it's, what's interesting there is that Joshua was obedient to do exactly what Moses told him to do. You see it there. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Well, I, I think I see in all of this that if we're going to be in effective ministers, effective assistants, then we need to be obedient. We need to do as we're told to do. Not just be obedient, but be models of obedience. Philemon 21 says, Having confidence in your obedience, Paul writes, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Those of us that have children, you know, my kids are all growing up now. You know, uh, thank God. Um, but, I, you know, you tell them, hey, go, go toss the trash. Go take the trash out. You know, and they take the trash out and they throw it in the barrel and, you know, and they come back in and later on you go out and you find trash that, you know, the neighborhood cats got into and there's trash all over the ground and you say to them, why didn't you pick up the trash? Well, you didn't tell me to. You know, you only told me to toss the trash. You didn't tell me, you know, to clean up everything. And it's like, but you were right there. You know, you could have picked the stuff up, but you didn't tell me to do that. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Talking about Jesus. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. We too have to be obedient. We have to continue to learn obedience. We have to struggle against the flesh. There isn't a day that doesn't go by in my life that I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I think I'd rather do this. You know, and you have to fight against the flesh that wants to have that independence, make up your own mind, be your own man, do your own thing. And to take orders, to be obedient. Does it mean that we never disagree? We, we never say, well, you know, I, I see things a little bit differently. Are we only yes men? Are we only to be those guys that just agree and nod like some kind of doll in the back of the car, just always nodding yes? You know, I, I don't think so. From time to time, we're going to see things that are a, a little different, a little different viewpoint, a little different skew on things. But if there's something that needs to be shared, then we have to do that in private. We have to, to share our hearts and share the issues that we may be having in private, not in front of others. There's many times that I've had to go in and say, you know, you were sharing this and you know, I just want you to know I kind of see things a little bit differently and if you don't mind, can I share my heart with you in regards to that? Never had a problem with that. But never to the, to the tune of, well, you know, 
Um, you might see it that way, but I see it this way. You, you either have to be obedient, in my mind, and get on board, or you have to get out. You have to get out of the way. If Pastor David wants something done that I don't necessarily agree with, then I'll let him know in private. We'll talk about it in private. But after it's been discussed, and after I leave that office, then I'm going to do what I've been asked to do as if it was my own idea. If it was something that I came up with, he's going to have my complete obedience and loyalty. That's going to be something that people are going to see because they need to have that modeled. Not somebody that's saying, well, you know, I don't quite see it that way. I don't quite understand it as he sees it, but it's, you know, we're going to do it and it'll be all right. No, they're going to see complete loyalty and complete obedience because they need to see that. It brings unity. Anything else undermines leadership. Backbiting comments, things that are said that are just not right, just not proper. Obedience is crucial for the unity of the body of Christ. Not only in our working relationship, but in our modeling it for others. So, Moses, in verse 11, Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill, and so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. So, we have the picture in our mind. Moses is up on the top of the hill near the battle with the rod of God in his hand. And the battle's raging back and forth. First Israel's winning and then the battle would shift and Amalek would begin to win. And Moses was doing the best he could to hold up his hands with the rod of God in his hands. But it was heavy and his arms would begin to sag. And these battles went on for hours. Went on for days. And so when his arms began to sink, then Amalek would begin to prevail. It's not really clear what the warriors needed to see down in the valley where the battle was raging. You know, whether they needed to see the rod of God in his hands and he was holding that up as an evidence of the presence of the Lord, God's with you, or whether it was an attitude of prayer. There was a, there was a relationship between Moses and God that was clearly understood. And the people needed to see that. And so we have the position or the, the place of the senior pastor. And we see that he's that, that person who stands before the people and he brings God's presence to the people through his word. What's clear here to me is that at some point Aaron and her began to put the situation together. Moses' hands became heavy so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. They must have been looking down in the valley and, you know, seeing what was going on down there and, you know, and see that, hey, this isn't going the right way. And they'd maybe look at Moses, you know, to kind of get some direction and, you know, and they'd see Moses' hands sagging, you know, and then all of a sudden they'd see him lift up his hands the best that he could as tired as he was. And all of a sudden, the battle shifted. You know, and they're, they're looking back and forth and, you know, they finally realize there's some kind of relationship between his hands and what's going on down there. So, Aaron and her were observant. They were watching what was going on. 
They're paying attention. And as an assistant, we have to be observant. You know, I find that, for me anyway, being a good assistant is a lot like a marriage. It's a lot like a marriage. You know, I I have to pay attention to what's going on with my wife. I have to pay attention about, you know, what, what burdens she's carrying or what issues are important to her or, you know, what's happening in her personal life or her spiritual life or, you know, what's going on with the kids or what's going on with now with my grandkids or, you know, <clears throat> what's happening in her circle of friends or the things that are putting pressure on her. How is our relationship? What's going on between us? How can I minister to her? How can I care for her needs? Those are the kind of things that, you know, a good husband is aware of. And I realize that I'm a key factor in all of this. You know, I'm, I'm crucially important. The same thing is true in ministry. You know, when you talk about, you know, being submitted, being obedient. Ladies, it is, is it easy to be submitted? Is it easy to be obedient? I don't think so. I think it's a struggle with the flesh constantly. You know, and, and I realize that, that it's not all about me. I'm there to relieve stress. I'm there to, to take on the issues that, that uh, I can. There's some issues that I can't. That's, that's totally the senior pastor's and not mine. But I can be there. I can be observant. I can watch what's going on. Or I can walk in the house and I can turn on the TV. You know, and I can begin to zone out. And though the can for dinner is being set on the table rather hard, you know, and the pots and pans are being rattled in a way to try and get my attention, I'm oblivious. Because, frankly, I don't care. I'm tired. I've got my own issues. I've got my own things that are going on. And I don't want to be distracted from the, the things that I want to do. And so the ministry of an assistant is being observant. Pay attention to the, to the needs of, of, the, of the fellowship, things that are going on around you, not just the senior pastor, but those you're there to minister to. There's a, a, to me, there's a great difference between being a spectator and being a player. You know, I've sat the bench. You want to be in the game. It's a bit different when you're in the game. You're actually a part of a team. You're actually making progress towards winning the game. And if you're an assistant or a helper, it's an imperative that you, be, that you are proactive, that you're sensing the need, and you understand that you may be the only one that sees it, and you're the only one that has the ability to get it done. You can't say that someone else will see that. Somebody else will take care of it. That's not my job. That's so-and-so's job. That's, that's their thing to do. You know, I don't think it's good to have, you know, the inability to cross over in our responsibilities. Whatever is happening in my co-workers' lives are important to me. And whatever they're doing has a direct effect on me. And what I'm doing or not doing has a direct effect on them. And we cross over and we pay attention to the needs of each other. We have to do what needs to be done and we can't wait for somebody else to do it. Aaron and her observed what was going on and they took action. 
So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. You know, they brought relief. They realized that, hey, this guy's getting tired. One of the major concerns of, of anyone that would want to be used to the Lord in serving is to bring comfort. To, to bring some kind of comfort. Ministry is relieving pain or taking care of stress or discomfort or loneliness or fatigue. That's what a minister is supposed to do. And Aaron and her brought relief to Moses. And they remained diligent. They didn't just think, okay, my job's done. You know, they remained observant, continuing to evaluate the situation. And they realized that whether Moses was sitting down or whether he was standing up, his arms still sagged. It didn't make any difference. And it brought ultimate defeat to Israel. They began to lose the battle. So what did they do? Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. It's interesting to me that you know, being observant and bringing relief can only go so far. At some point, you have to get personally involved. It's the only way that's going to really bring victory, personal involvement. And so being a good assistant means being sacrificial. I think we're, we all struggle with the flesh. We, we might even ask ourselves, which is a prevailing question in the society we live in right now, what's in it for me? <laughs> you know, what, what, what advantage am I going to get out of this? Being sacrificial means we have to work against that. And Aaron and her could have been self-motivated. You know, they, they were watching Moses' hands sagged and they had a vested interest in the victory. You know, if they lost, they might die themselves. They, they might pay the ultimate price themselves if we don't gain victory here. And so they figured, you know what, we have to get busy and get involved and help Moses to hold his hands up because we have a vested interest in this. But I think it's a whole lot more than that. I think there's more of a sense that, that, that this was God's man. They loved Moses. They wanted to, to assist him in his ministry. They must have thought, you know, if, if I can help in some way, be the instrument that, that, to help this, this man of God, then I need to get personally involved in this. We have to serve sacrificially. Recently, we were, I was with Pastor David in Israel. And uh, we were down in the um, um, Dead Sea. And we were staying in a hotel there and a storm blew in, a violent storm, and it blew out the electricity. The elevators were gone. Something happened to even the backup generator. And we were up on the 17th floor of this hotel. And there were people there that couldn't... And we had to check out. And we had to get out of the hotel within an hour. We were, got up in the morning, went and had our breakfast, and we were due down at the bus within an hour. And... So we quickly formed a group of people to start climbing 17 floors and lugging luggage down for those that couldn't do it. You know, and very quickly I recognized the guys that were part of uh, the, the tour group that were strong and capable. And I said, let's go. Let's get up and start helping people. Let's, we were on the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th floor and we just started going through each floor and grabbing luggage and bringing it down. That's sacrificial. 
You know, there wasn't a person that was helping to do that that wasn't sweating bullets by the time they got on the bus, soaking wet. And that's hard and that's difficult, but I'll tell you what, there's bonding there that will never be forgotten. Remember when we were lugging luggage down from the 17th floor of the Meridian Hotel in the Dead Sea? You know, there's, there's things that are shared. It's hard, it's difficult. But it's a memory that you're never going to forget. A little, a little side note here, Aaron and her were holding up the hands of Moses, not holding down the hands of Moses. And unfortunately, I've seen guys that you know, have held down my pastor's hands. I think I've even done that from time to time. I've been more of a drag than I've been one to lift up. And how do you hold down the hands of, of a person you're supposed to be helping? By being needy, by needing to be his friend, by needing his counsel, by needing his encouragement, needing a pat on the back, needing some kind of, of support instead of being that support. I think that can happen. Always having to, to need to be stroked, thanked, causing problems instead of taking care of them, not doing what you've been asked to do, offering excuses instead of results. All of these drag down the pastor's arms. They add to the difficulty of holding up the staff of God. Can you imagine her saying, hey, as long as we're here, can I talk to you about my daughter? You know, it's like, that's not the time. There's ministry that needs to be taking place. I'm supposed to be helping. I'm supposed to be holding up. So we have to be careful that we're not drowning our pastor instead of helping him to save others. I want to be the man who holds up arms. I want to help allow the rod of God in the hands of the man that he's chosen to be seen and to bring victory. The last thing to notice there is that in their helping of Moses, there was no time limit. In helping Moses, they were holding up his hands and steadying them until the going down of the sun. You know what? Real ministry is never convenient. It's never convenient. It doesn't happen from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. You know, ministry arrives at 3 in the morning or on a Saturday just when the meat comes off the grill. Sometimes it lasts until the going down of the sun. And there's just one simple rule as far as I can see. You can't be a good helper if you aren't there to help. If you're not there, you can't help. You can't be observant if you're not there. You can't bring relief if you're not there. If you don't know how to bring relief. If you don't know the, the things that are around that can bring relief. Now, obviously, barring vacations and days off that everyone needs, an assistant needs to be there to be of any assistance. You know what? I, I've gone to Israel with just a few days' notice. Just this last time, I had five days' notice. You know, I loved every minute of being there. It was great. But it's not easy. It's not easy getting ready. It's not easy saying goodbye to your family. It's not easy, you know, taking care of ministry and getting everything done so that you can leave. It's not easy. But there wasn't a question in my mind. You need me there? I'm there. Whatever you need. And I've said that to him. You know, I've gotten up in the middle of the night to do hospital visits with him. He calls me. Hey, can you go with me? Absolutely. Whatever you need. Whatever you need to be done. 
You just need to be there. You need to be loyal. You need to, to, to be there in times of, of transition. You know, there, as, as was mentioned earlier by Pancho, we're, we're in times of desperate difficulty. And people are just tasting at this church over here and tasting at the church over there. And they don't understand what it's like to be at one church. I've been there for 27 years. You know, to, to, to be together and see. And we, we can talk now about 27 years. And I know that some of you guys have been with your pastor maybe that long. And you, you don't understand that others don't understand what that, that means. You know, for me being a grandpa now, you know, to, to have a, a grandchild. Those of you that aren't there yet, there's no way you can understand that until you're a grandpa. You can't understand. And you can't have that kind of relationship with a pastor unless you're there for that kind of time. You can't be that kind of man unless you're loyal, unless you stay there through thick and thin, through the difficult times as well as the times of growth, the times of shrinking as well as the times of growth. Whatever it is, be loyal and be there. You can't assist if you pick and choose when and where you'll be available. I've told him many times that my ministry is to the Lord Jesus, but you're the beneficiary of it. My ministry is directly to the Lord. I do this under the Lord, but you're the one that benefits from it. You're the one that gets the benefit of it. I'll be there. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. All you have to do is ask. One last thing, another part of Scripture, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. As I finish up, I want to be like Jonathan's armor bearer. I want to be that guy. It says there in 1 Samuel 14, 6, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come down here, then we'll stand and stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And thus we will be assigned to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, I think with a little wink, Come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men in about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. What's Jonathan's armor bearer's name? No idea. <laughs> the guy's so invisible, he doesn't even have a name. It isn't somebody that you, that you know. He's, he's back behind the scenes. You know? 
Pastor David's helper. That's good enough for me. I just want to be a guy that's going to be there with him. I just want to be the guy that says, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, whatever's in your heart, Pastor David, I'm there with you. I'm with you. You know, might take your life. That's okay. I'm here with you. You know, I want to do this. Go for it. I'm with you. I'm going to help you. Hey, we may both die, but we're going to die together. You know, that, that's the kind of, of relationship that I want. That's the kind of thing that I think an assistant does. In biblical days, an armor bearer was one who actually carried the shield and armor of his leader as he went into battle. He often acted as his personal assistant. King Saul had several armor bearers assigned to him. And King David was one of Saul's armor bearers. The term armor bearer was originally translated from the Hebrew word nasah, which meant figuratively or literally to lift up, support, or to simply help. An armor bearer is one that helps or supports the arms of an assigned leader during times of battle. Who wouldn't say we're not in a battle right now? A modern day armor bearer is one called by God to serve and, and help his assigned leader in life, ministry, and especially in the fight of faith. In essence, an armor bearer is called to attend to, minister to, care for, help, be of use, assist, benefit, promote, support, make easy for, nourish, and encourage their leader. Jonathan's armor bearer's words are remarkable. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. He trusted Jonathan to lead him. He was brave. He was loyal. Even if it meant death. I'm with you according to your heart. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's, let's get on with it. 1 Samuel 16, 18 gives us the qualification of David, Saul's armor bearer. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. Now, for me, and the part of the armor bearer, I think the handsome part is kind of obvious. But what isn't obvious is that the Lord is with him. If I have that, though, that the Lord is with me, then all the rest of it is going to fall into place. And I'll be the man that God wants me to be. I'll be an assistant to my pastor. And he'll be successful. And he'll have somebody that he can rely on and he can trust. And he knows that through thick and thin, you know what? Even if I'm standing 10 feet behind him, he knows I'm there. All he's got to do is just turn around, give me a look, anything. After being together for 27 years, a lot happens. Just like, again, in a marriage, with my wife, I can look at her and I can tell whether she's having a good time or a bad time. I can be sensitive to what her needs are. And I know that in some cases, I'm the only one that is going to supply those needs. 
And so after 27 years of being there, sometimes just to look tells me there's a need there and I'm going to take care of it. And I encourage you guys to do the same thing. Father, thank you for this time. I pray your blessing on those that are here today. May my words not be too strong, Lord, or, or, or too harsh, but Lord, may they be an encouragement. Father, we need your encouragement. We need... This is a time of battle, Lord. We see the battle raging and we see arms sagging all over the place, Lord. May we be the men that can not only provide the rock, but provide personal assistance to lift up arms. And Lord, may you strengthen us to be able to do that. May you cause fellowship and relationships to come together today, Lord, so that we can call on each other and we can not just gossip, Lord, and, and talk about our, our, the difficulties of being in a system, but encourage one another and say, yep, that's, that's right, that's the way it is. It is that difficult. Let me pray for you. Get back in the battle. Lord, may we be that for each other, and may you be that for us, Lord. You are the rod of God lifted up in our pastor's arms, Lord. May we help him to lift that up and draw people to yourself, Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.